Hi, I'm Kavi Gupta, and this is Strat Chat. Our guest in this segment... Hi, my name is Henry Chesbro. I'm a professor at the University of California at Berkeley, and I study innovation. Henry Chesbro is not only a renowned educator and author, he's the father of open innovation, but he's also recognized in the Thinkers 50 ranking of management thinkers at number 24. That's a big deal. Today, he talks to Alex about the importance of existing businesses to collaborate with the innovation engines inside their organization. Listen as Henry and Alex discuss the opportunities and challenges companies face to navigate collaborative innovation. Dig in and enjoy. So Henry, thanks for joining us. I'm really excited to to talk to you about innovation, corporate innovation. Now, you have this very interesting way of framing the relationship between corporate ventures and the established part of the company, the execution engine. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about how a collaboration between these two entities should look like. You know, both you and I are friends of Steve Blank and his concept of uh, startups as a temporary organization that searches for a scalable business model. And by contrast, an established company uh, is a company that has identified and found that business model and, in fact, has scaled it and, in, in so doing, has become a much more permanent organization. One of the things that Steve and Eric Ries and others have taught us is that it's a big mistake to treat startups like small versions of big companies. They really are trying to do a different task, namely this business model search process. Where I'm think, seeing things, though, is I think uh, Eric and Steve and others are making a parallel mistake. I think their advice to large companies when they try to look, search for business models is to be a large version of a startup. And because they are a, an established organization that has scaled the business model, I think there's a different context. And so a way to understand that context is to use the business model canvas, except you want to use two canvases. You want to use the canvas for the established business and its scaled business model and compare that to the startup venture's current canvas, which of course is changing all the time, and you want to overlay one on top of the other to see where they overlap in terms of the nine elements uh, in the business model canvas. So in my thinking, uh, you know, you might expect you want as much overlap as possible, but that brings us back to those definitions we began with. Uh, the large company's resources have already been scaled. So they're not built for search, and they're not very flexible. Uh, they're very efficient, uh, and they're highly optimized, but they're not very flexible. And so uh, you see these opportunities for conflict uh, where the little startup venture is trying to get the large company's resources to flex and do what, are, what seem like unnatural things to the large company's resource managers. So. This is a, a very important topic, right? How do we manage these conflicts between the two? And I, I really like this almost contrarian view, if you want, that um, it might actually be better to <laughs> figure out a specific approach for, for corporate ventures. 
can you point us maybe to some some examples of where this you know worked out and where this hasn't worked out, where we can see these conflicts in in the real world? Sure. Uh, one area in my own research where I saw where it didn't work out so well uh, was in studying Xerox and its Palo Alto Research Center in Palo Alto, California. Uh, they came up with some really strong technology in computers and man-machine interfaces uh, back in the 70s and 80s and continuing on into the 90s. But Xerox didn't have a capability to search for new business models that might take more advantage of these technologies. So Xerox ended up mining the technologies for everything that could fit with its current business model which in those days were, were copier and printer businesses that were trying to make as many copies as fast as possible in high quality. But they really didn't know how to develop business models that might create things like the Ethernet or Adobe and things like this. So that's where it didn't work. Uh, a couple of examples that are much, much earlier, but I think are in the right direction, uh, would be Clorox or Goodyear. Uh, and Clorox has a, a new venturing uh, ability and they create what they call guardrails for, at the corporate level. So you are allowed to explore in particular domains so long as you stay within the guardrails. Uh, and then they use startup companies actively as part of their uh, approach so that they can be more flexible uh, and not have to bother the internal resource managers too often in the early stages where they're still learning a lot changing a lot and pivoting from time to time. So based on your research, you've seen you know, a lot of um, examples of how to do it right and how to do it wrong. Some things worked, some things didn't work. Are there a, a couple of practical steps that organizations can take to, to uh, manage this, this uh, potential conflict between, between the two entities, kind of the innovation side and the execution side? I think there are. Uh, these days, companies are trying to bring the lean startup process inside their own organizations. And they're being told to be more like a startup. And there's, that's probably good advice uh, if it gets companies moving at a faster pace and thinking differently. But additional advice I would offer, given that you're in that context of being inside a large company, uh, is to get upstairs in the building as well as getting out of the building uh, as you plan this venture. And you're going to need to go upstairs in the building to identify uh, the resource conflicts you're likely to encounter and to get some of those guardrails or permissions so that within a certain range of activities, you are free to do what you can outside the organization, perhaps using open innovation. And when you get to a certain scale, uh, or a certain period close to a major market launch, then, but only then, do you engage with the internal resource, resource owners uh, to actually get these ventures going. I really like that, that image of going upstairs in the building, not just outside of the building, and that's probably you know, one of the big distinctions um, you know, between a, a corporate startup and a, and a startup. Have you seen any organizational models, you know, changes in the org chart, that um, we could we could look at in corporations to to get that collaboration and that you know between the left hand side the execution engine the 
um, innovation engine and the upstairs and the downstairs to, to collaborate better? Are there some organizational changes we, we should consider in, in companies to, to, to create a better environment for innovation? When you and Steve and I were talking about this three or four years ago, one of the gaps that we identified then is it wasn't clear where in the organization responsibility lay for searching for the business model. In a startup company, it clearly lies with the CEO, and he or she really owns the, the search and, and really can't rest until it's, uh, the product market fit has been achieved. But in a much larger company, the CEO is often the chief execution officer executing the current business that now has been optimized, uh, and it's not clear where authority to search for a new process lays. And so organizationally, I think what we're starting to see are some answers to that. So I mentioned both Clorox and Goodyear. Uh, in Clorox, uh, the CTO's office really had authority and budget uh, to do some of this uh, Horizon 2, Horizon 3 kind of search process and in turn also crafted those guardrails I mentioned before. In Goodyear, uh, the person actually is an independent person that is parallel to the CTO that reports to the uh, CEO. Uh, and so they've actually elevated that function even higher in the organization and I think these are two examples where uh, we're starting to see authority and accountability and budget uh, resting at senior levels in the company to search for these new business models. Now, one of the things that you know, you've changed in the innovation landscape is you, you, you coined the notion of open innovation and you really brought a completely new perspective to, to innovation. How does this play in to this, you know, um, um, interplay between execution engine and innovation engine? Where does an open innovation come in? How does it change the organizational structures and maybe even business models of companies today? Yes, you're right about open innovation. It, it came along on the scene probably 13 or 14 years ago, and it was an idea that companies can be much more agile and nimble and faster and more effective if they work with the ideas of other companies as well as their own and equally if they allow some of their own unused ideas to go out for others to use in their other businesses. And so in the case of this uh, tension between the startup and the established company, open innovation can act as a lubricant to reduce the frictions, particularly in the early stages where you really need to learn in the venture uh, and you are talking about very, very small quantities of product or service to the established company. So they really don't prioritize the needs of the ventures very much at all because it is so insignificant. And so what open innovation would allow you to do in the venture is to collaborate with people outside your organization in those early stages to accomplish the tasks that later on might move into your organization. And so think of something like uh, getting a sample uh, of a product uh, from an internal uh, manufacturing manager versus collaborating with somebody from outside to supply that sample. Or think about uh, sourcing something from a university uh, versus using your internal procurement organization uh, to try to bring it up. Or working with a startup company and making them a part of your extended laboratory to do some of this learning and pivoting 
uh, instead of having to negotiate with internal R&D each and every step of the way. Now, we obviously talk a lot on our blog about business models and business model innovation. Now, where do you see um, good exa- Have you seen good examples of open innovation helping, particularly with the topic of business model innovation? Yeah. So the an example of this that I like a lot. Uh, Goodyear has been exploring ways to create more eco-friendly products, uh, particularly in the emerging markets where there's increasing sensitivity about resource use uh, and sustainability. Uh, this becomes a, an entry to, to play in those markets and to be taken as a legitimate, responsible uh, business participant. And so to explore these more eco-friendly products, one of the things they've done is they found a technology that allows you to use uh, rice husks. And and if you uh, burn them in a certain way, you can use them as a replacement for uh, silica in in the formulation of your tire and get a much more green and renewable resource that currently is used as waste and convert it into a useful material for the production of a more eco-friendly tire. Uh, So they're actually uh, doing the the market tests for these things to figure out how to frame it and what people would pay for it. But on the supply side, they actually took this technology to a startup company in Indonesia and used their labs to run the experiments that would uh, demonstrate can we meet certain performance requirements to be able to be used in a tire. So instead of restricting it to its internal laboratories, they collaborated with an external lab in Indonesia, which is one of the key target markets for this eco-friendly tire. I'd like to shift to a slightly different topic, um, because I remember, you know, Steve, you and I, when we were talking about um, innovation and how to do this in large corporations, we also addressed the topic of incentives, um, financial incentives, other incentives, and we were discussing the fact that probably today the incentive system you know, doesn't really favor innovators in, in most companies. And, and I remember, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, that you had some pretty interesting views and examples of how companies, you know, incentivize innovation in a way that the innovators could also, um, you know, participate in the success of the new ventures. Well, you're right. The incentives are, I think, both a part of the problem and an avenue for part of the solution to the problem. Uh, one of the things that I think we, we enjoyed when we were talking about this is, you know, an entrepreneur is going to have to pitch his or her ideas to lots of investors before they get somebody who might finally say, okay, uh, you know, let's go, let's, we'll, we believe it, we'll give you a chance. Uh, so you might do dozens of these before you get somebody who says yes. Uh, meanwhile, an internal uh, entrepreneur uh, pitching a similar concept might have to talk to dozens of people inside his or her own company, but if any one of those people says no inside the company, that can stop you dead in your tracks. So just from uh, an environmental perspective, the external ventures get, have a much greater ability to get started and much more freedom to get started because they only have to get one yes instead of getting dozens of yeses. So I think that's an interesting starting point. Uh, And then another plate, as you go downstream, if the venture goes well and if the entrepreneurs are really able to execute and start to scale, the returns to the entrepreneurs can be outstanding and and really awesome. 
Whereas in the internal venture, if things go really well and you actually hit all of your targets, you might get a bonus uh, next year of you know, 10, 20 percent of your salary. Uh, and that's the upside scenario if things go very well. So uh, the, the incentives are, are quite different as well as the ability to get started is quite different. So I was orienting the questions a bit. Now I'd like to you know, just ask you, where do you see the biggest challenges to innovation in established corporations, successful corporations, and how can we overcome maybe some of those challenges? A challenge I'm seeing is we're getting better at managing what I'll call the front end of uh, the innovation process uh, with tools like Strategizer, with uh, activities like uh, open innovation, companies are getting a much richer and more diverse set of inputs to bring into the innovation process. But I think what's happening is that as we have a richer and more diverse front end of the process, we're getting tripped up and stuck in the transfers to the back end, where it's actually going to get uh, stuck in one of the existing business units or managed by perhaps a new business unit. And there's a great deal of knowledge that has to get shared internally uh, in order for that to take place. And you've also got to balance your resources so that you have enough resource to take up and carry forward uh, the most promising of the ideas that come through the pipeline. So I think this connection between the front end of the innovation process and the back end that goes to the businesses and then to the markets uh, is an area that really needs a lot of attention. Now, one last thing maybe. I know you're, you're running a conference in Europe pretty soon around open innovation. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and uh, how, how our listeners can find out about it? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, on December 15th and 16th of 2016, we're going to have the third annual World Open Innovation Conference. And this is a conference that really brings people from both academia and from industry together in one place. Uh, we're doing it at Asade uh, in Barcelona. And we expect between 250 and 300 people. Uh, some of our featured speakers include Ferran Adria from El Bulli Restaurant, uh, who now runs the El Bulli Foundation. And he's going to talk about his process of managing creativity and innovation. We're also going to have Commissioner Carlos Moidas, uh, who's the EU Commissioner for Research, Science, and Innovation, talking about the three opens, uh, open science, open innovation, and open to the world. We're going to have a session on Barca, the, the famous Barcelona football team, and how they use open innovation. Uh, and we're going to have a session on open innovation in China as well. So there should be a lot of great stuff there. Uh, I'm for sure going to be there and would love to see uh, some of the strategizer crowd there as well.